0: Uh, Revelation chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, um, flick them open, swipe them open, tap them open to Revelation 3, because we're going to read the last letter of the seven letters that we've been looking at, Uh, we've looked at. The idea of Revelation is really that uh, Jesus gives um, John a revelation uh, of himself that really through revelation that we want to see more of Jesus. We want to be captured by who Jesus is and the heart he has for his church and the heart he has for for us as his people. And so we um, endeavor to find who Jesus is through each of these letters and, and who he's revealing himself to be and what his message is for us. Um, we've looked at the fact that there's seven churches and seven represents the idea of wholeness or completeness in, in Scripture. And so the letters to the seven churches are really talking about the letter, letters to the complete church or the whole church. It's a representation of, of different types of churches or different things that churches might face. And so Jesus writes and addresses uh, different issues. And so we can um, listen to what Jesus says to each of these seven churches and take them on board for ourselves. And say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're speaking to us about? At the end of each letter, he who has ears, to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And so there's a real sense that we need to lean in to what Jesus is saying. um, Not just reading the letters and and hearing a message and saying, oh, I'll listen to it. But we need to lean in and say, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to us about? What are you sharing to us? And so again this morning, I pray that that's your posture. I pray that your posture is leaned into, not to my voice, but to the Holy Spirit's voice. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to my heart about? Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to us as a church about? Because we want to hear it. We want to be a church that Jesus loves and is proud of uh, and that is involved in. So I'm not going to run through all the the letters that we've looked at so far, but trust me, we have. Uh, Last week, we didn't have a message on the church at Philadelphia. You looked at that in your small groups, and so um, I hope that was encouraging for you. But uh, this week, Revelation 3... 14 to 22. Let's read this church to Laodicea. It says this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you are either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God, would you help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to us this morning? Would you help us to have the ears to hear um, the encouragement, the challenge, whatever it is that you want to speak to our hearts? Uh, this morning about, God, we pray that you would help us to hear that. And not just listen, but to hear and obey the words that you have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading um, just this week uh, an article about uh, something that happened a couple of weeks ago in America. Um, There was this guy who... Um, had failed his driving test nine times. He was going for his driving test, and he's failed nine times. And so on the 10th time, he was going again for his driving test. And this time, he decided that he would steal a car and drive himself without any supervision to the test um, and go for his test. And he still failed. And then he got arrested and put into jail. But I just loved just the attitude. I don't know if he got put into jail. I might have added that bit, but I mean, just, you know, Sometimes preachers exaggerate. Not this preacher, but I've heard. <laughs> I just loved his confidence, though, to say, you know what, I've failed this nine times, I'm just going to go again, and like, I don't need supervision, even though I don't have my license, and I've failed nine times. Like, I'm just going to drive, and she'll be right. And it's sort of like, even though it was a story in America, it just to remind me of this Aussie attitude, she'll be right, mate, uh, and how we just have this laissez-faire, like, ah, it'll be right, like, um, we can get away with it. It's not that hard. I, that was definitely my attitude the first time I went for my driving test. I think I've shared this story before, but I, the first time I went for my driving test, I was like, ah, uh, she'll be right. It's easy to drive a car. You just There's a go button, there's a stop button, and there's another one that sometimes you need to use. And, and I failed. I failed. She won't be right, mate. She won't be right. Um, but there's this confidence that... Um, that this man had that we can have and that uh, I think in our culture we can have of things that we think we're okay at but then when it really comes to the to the test or to the moment it's like oh maybe we weren't as good as we thought or maybe it wasn't as right as we thought it was and I think that attitude of should we right or we're okay was definitely the attitude in Laodicea this this sense of we're okay we don't we're, I mean, we're fine we're rich we got all we need We've got all we need. And if there was ever a church, I know we've sort of identified with each of the churches so far, but if there was ever a church that the 20th century, 21st century Western church could identify with most, it's this church. It's the church in Laodicea. This sense that we've got it, we're okay. We're okay. We're okay with our mediocrity in our, in our faith. We're okay with the way in which we approach God, the, the way in which we live our faith. It's fine. We'll be right. Should be right, mate. We're saved by grace. We're saved. It's, it's all good. We can just cruise on through life, comfortable as we want, and we'll be right. And this was the massive rebuke that Jesus brought to Laodicea, is that you won't be right. You won't be right. That lukewarmness, that mediocrity is not okay in my book. And so it's a pretty harsh letter. It's a pretty full-on letter. And this is the letter that uh, was sent to the church in Laodicea. Jesus um, warns the church that he's not settling for for a mediocre faith. He wants something with more purpose and with fruit. And so I want to talk about this idea this morning, that Jesus' church lives with conviction, not compromise. Jesus' church lives with conviction, not compromise. So Laodicea um, was a wealthy church. Um, It had three main sort of industries in in its town. It was sort of along a trade route where it was situated. A lot of People had to go through Laodicea, and so um, because it was where it was, it had a strong banking sort of center, so lots of people um, put their gold or coins or Bitcoin or whatever they had into their banking center there, and uh, the, church, the, the town was rich because of that, because of the banking center. Um, they had a lot of wealth, they had a lot of wealth. Uh, even so much wealth that there was an earthquake around uh, 60 AD uh, and when Rome stepped in to say, "Well, we'll help you, we'll give you some assistance to help you rebuild your city, Laodicea says, no, we don't need any help. We've got enough resource that we can rebuild our entire city and surely they did. They didn't need anyone to help them. They rebuilt their entire city um, better than it was before. <coughs> Excuse me. The second industry they had was a, a wool industry. They were known for producing this... Um, shiny or glossy black wool that was really used for fine clothing. Uh, And so they're well known for this. And they're well known for a medical school just outside the town that produced uh, an eye salve that helped with eye conditions and helped people see and and heal. and, um, And so we can see that these three industries already, you can go, oh, they sound like That's what Jesus was talking about. And so the culture of the town and what was happening in the town was directly addressed and Jesus used those metaphors to speak something to Laodicea and we'll get into that. The other thing about Laodicea was its water. The water in Laodicea was gross. It was this literally lukewarm water. There was um, in the... In Colossae, which is, I think, about 10 miles away, there was the cold streams, and so they built some aqueducts and pipes and got the water from Colossae to Laodicea. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it was gross. It was uh, had sediment, and it was lukewarm, and it wasn't cold and refreshing anymore. And likewise, there was in the hills, there was a hot, some hot springs, and so they would pipe that water too, and by the time it got to Laodicea, it was also lukewarm. Uh, it had cooled down, so they really had this... Uh, water supply in the town where it was disgusting to drink and it was gross Uh, and so it was lukewarm and so Jesus again talks about that idea as well so that's a bit about Laodicea and like I said I reckon it's the most comparable to the current western church the last church and perhaps um some would say that the seven churches represent the seven, seven ages of different churches, and we're in the last age, we're in the seventh age of the church, and that means that Jesus is coming soon. And I would say Jesus is coming sooner than he was yesterday, um, that is for sure. So verse 14, let's get into this. Jesus is uh, the, the angel of the church in Laodicea, right this, to these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So every time that Jesus writes a letter to a church, he identifies himself in a different way. And so this time he reveals himself as the Amen, the faithful and true witness and the ruler of God's creation. So this idea that he is the Amen is the the idea that um, Amen means let it be so or this sense of certainty that what Jesus says is true, what Jesus proclaims, what he knows is true. That he is the amen. He has the final say. He has the final word. Whatever he says, goes. Let it be so. He is the amen. He is the faithful and true witness. What he sees and what he is, is true and faithful. He doesn't lie. He doesn't misrepresent what he sees. He doesn't misrepresent what he knows. He is faithful and true. And he is the beginning of creation. He is the author of life. He is the beginning of life. He was there at the start. And so that's who Jesus reveals himself to the church at Laodicea. So I want to um, spend most of our time in these next couple of verses, in this idea of the lukewarm water and then what Jesus commands them to do. So verse 15 and 16, if you've grown up in church, if you've been in church uh, for any length of time, no doubt you would have heard this idea that, um, about lukewarm water and I wish you were hot or cold and spit you out of my mouth and... Um, and it's a pretty simple idea to wrap your head around. I mean, it doesn't, I don't really need to explain the intricacies of lukewarm water and hot and cold water um, other than to say that cold water and hot water each have their use, but lukewarm water is sort of of no use. There's not much you use lukewarm water for. Hot water, you can make a hot tea and that's nice, but if you make a lukewarm tea or a lukewarm coffee, no one's going to drink it. No one drives through the Macca's drive-thru and says, I'll have a, I can't decide if I want an iced latte or a normal latte, so just make it lukewarm. Like, no one says that. And they don't have that on the menu for that reason, because no one wants lukewarm anything. You either want something hot or you want something cold. Um, Nothing else. um, It it doesn't make sense to have something lukewarm. And so um, Jesus says that he sees their deeds, and their deeds are lukewarm that they are lukewarm in their faith. They are lukewarm in their faith. It's like Jesus always says this idea in his letters too, that I know, I know this about you, I know this, I see this about you. But Jesus knows all that we ever are, all that we ever do, all that we ever think, all that we ever say. Jesus knows who we are. He knows what we do. And he says to Laodicea, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. He's, he really talks about you talks here about what they are doing with their life. I know what you're doing, and it's not good. And you might think, well, I didn't think that what we did was that important to Jesus. I thought he was more interested in our hearts. And I'll say, you're absolutely right. But there's something about our deeds, there's something about what we do that reveals our heart. There's something that when we live uh, the life of faith, it produces fruit um, when we live with the right sort of faith, in the right sort of way, with the right sort of conviction. Matthew 17, Matthew 7, sorry, verse 18 says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So there's a real sense that what is in our heart, what, what is true in our heart, will eventually come out. Good deeds, the good faith, and, and James writes this in his epistle, that when we live with a, a true and a right faith, deeds will follow, the, the right actions will follow, the right obedience will follow. And so Jesus knows what is going on more than anyone else. We can't fool him like we can fool other people and like we can fool ourselves sometimes. He knows and he sees our deeds and he sees our hearts. He sees through our deeds to our heart. They are one and the same to him. Our deeds don't save us, but they are proof that we are saved. Deeds uh, reveal what your heart is really like. And the deeds of Laodicea, were mediocre. They were lukewarm. They were neither here nor there. So like I said, there was nearby hot springs, and, and they were providing therapeutic properties. They were bringing healing properties, and they were uh, hot enough to bathe in, and um, they were good for the, for the people that had the hot springs. There was Colosse that had the cool, refreshing water, and that was nice to drink and, and very useful. I mean, who doesn't like cold water in their taps? It's great. Um, And Laodicea had to pipe these waters in and it became stagnant, it became dirty, it became impure, hard to drink and of not much real use. One historian writes about this. He says, the water supply of Laodicea was derived from an artificial pipeline, bringing water which was literally lukewarm and so impure as to have an anemic effect. So it made you vomit. It had this effect that when you drank it, you wanted to vomit. And so this is the city. And like the city, the church is full of people in Laodicea, whose life is lukewarm, whose faith is lukewarm. It wasn't cool and refreshing. You know, like Jesus says to the woman at Samaritan, or the Samaritan woman at the well, that he will um, bring waters of living living water, welling up within them. It's like this refreshing sense that there's cool water to drink, that, that Jesus quenches our thirst. I don't think um, the cool and the hot really represent that he... Jesus would say, "I'd rather you be hard against me, that you, you'd, be, you're, you'd have a cold heart towards me." I don't think that's really what he wants. I think he's saying that you, in the context of Laodicea, there's no purpose in what you're doing, there's no conviction in what you're in the way you're living. You're neither hot nor cold. There's no purpose. There's no conviction. You're just living with this mediocrity. So cold water has its purpose. Hot water, or this hot idea of being. On fire for God or passionate about God is great as well, but mediocrity is not. And I think mediocrity comes from a dying conviction, from this sense of compromise after compromise. Compromise after compromise. Dying conviction leads to lukewarm faith. And like I said, Jesus' church lives with conviction, not with compromise. And Jesus says to this church, I'm going to spit you out, I'm going to vomit you, it's the word that he uses, I'm going to vomit you up because it's it's disgusting. The way you're living is disgusting. I mean, these are strong words from Jesus. These are strong words from Jesus that he would say, I'm disgusted by your faith. I'm disgusted by your deeds, so much so that I'm vomiting. I don't know if there's much more repulsion that, you, that Jesus could give in his words to the church at Laodicea. But because you're not living with conviction, not, because you're not living with any sense of real purpose, the deeds that you have are disgusting to me. A theologian named um, John Stott wrote this about the Laodicean church. He says, the Laodicean church was half, a half-hearted church. Perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to the 20th century church than this. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity which is so widespread among us today. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath. I mean, that's pretty strong words as well. And I think if we are to be honest with ourselves, if we had a look around the church—not the, just our church, but the church in general—at the moment, we would have to say that that's a pretty accurate description of where the church is at. There's a real um, sense, and I mean, you don't have to look very hard at this, but the Australian church, the church in the West, is in decline. It's it's shrinking. It's not growing. We're in a state of lukewarmness. Um, as a, as a movement, if you like, where we're just okay with where things are at. We're just okay with where things are at. And I know it's my heart, and I hope it's your heart as well, that we don't want to be a church like that. We don't want the, the letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Laodicea to be the, the letter he writes to Sal Baptist Church. That somehow we might be different. Somehow we might be a church that is not lukewarm, that finds its purpose, that is refreshing to those who need refreshment, and is healing to those who need healing that is a light and a beacon in our community, that sees people come to faith. You know, the great commission that Jesus gives us to go and make disciples of all nations is a real measure, I think, of where the church is effective. If the church is effective, if it's reaching those who are lost. I mean, that is what we are sent for. That's the mission that we are on. To to reach and save the lost. And if we're not doing that, then we have to say, well, something's got to change. Something's got to change. And so I pray and hope that your heart is is really stirred by this letter and this idea that we don't want to settle for lukewarmness. We don't want to settle for mediocrity. We don't want to set, settle for the Australian attitude, she'll be right, mate. She won't be right. We won't be right at the end of the day if we just settle for this, oh, we'll just do what we can and get away with whatever we can get away with. But I pray that we live with a real conviction in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, and what he calls us to is what we do. What he commands us to do is what we are passionate about doing. And we don't go, ah, it's a nice idea, Jesus, to go and make disciples, but yeah, I'm sure someone else will. I'm sure another church will. I mean, I hear the church is growing in Asia. I mean, that's that's good, isn't it? We can give money to that. I pray that that stirs us to say, we've got to do something different. We've got to tell a different story. We've got to be part of something that changes in our time, in our generation. We're not a church interested in being mediocre. We don't aim just to keep the doors open and the lights on. We want to be a church that's making an impact, that's seeing people come to faith, that's seeing people baptised, that's reaching people with the message of Jesus. And we should be disgusted with what Jesus is disgusted by. It should make us feel sick that... um, when things are lukewarm, when things are mediocre. We should not be happy with that. If people aren't meeting Christ and coming into the kingdom, if disciples aren't being made, if baptisms aren't happening, we should be worried. It should bring alarm bells to our mind and say, something's got to change. Something's got to change. We've got to change the way we approach this. So let's commit to telling a different story. Let's hold to our conviction and not compromise. Jesus goes on and And says in verse seventeen, "You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not know a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked." I mean, if you thought the lukewarm thing was bad, it just goes from bad to worse. I mean, if there was good news and bad news, the good news was you're lukewarm. The bad news is that you are completely ruined. But there is no hope for you. You are poor, blind, and naked. They might have been able to rebuild their city when the earthquake came through their their city and they had enough money to do that, but they are not able to save themselves and restore their life back to God in the same way. The, The culture among the Laodiceans was, we can fix this. We can fix this. Whatever problem comes our way, nothing is too hard because we have whatever we need. We have enough money. We have enough wealth. We have enough experience. We can get through this. That's a dangerous place to be in your faith with Jesus. That whatever problem I'm facing in my walk with Jesus, whatever problem our church is facing, we got this. We can fix it. When we look at ourselves and when we rest in our own confidence of who we are and what we have done and what we have, we are in the very danger of being spat out of God's mouth and labelled this way, rejected because God cannot save someone who doesn't understand their own desperate situation. So if we want to tell a different story, if we want to be a, a church that is not lukewarm, one that's on fire and one that's refreshing to the community around us, we don't need to just go, "We've just got to fix it. We need the breath of life. We need the Holy Spirit's involvement. We need Jesus to revive us. We need Jesus to do something. And it comes from this humble approach that God, we cannot do this. We have tried, but our efforts are mediocre at best. We need your help. We don't have what it takes. Notice Jesus here says, um, when he's talking about the church in Laodicea, he says, you say, you say. It doesn't matter at the end of the day uh, what we say about ourselves. At the end of the day, it didn't matter what the Laodicean church said about itself. All that mattered was what Jesus said. That's why he describes himself as the Amen. He doesn't say whatever you say. He says whatever I say is final. I am the amen. I am the one that is, says let it be so. You don't say let it be so. I say let it be so. My word is final. Jesus isn't interested in our lip service. And we can't argue our way into God's kingdom. We can't justify lukewarmness in the face of the almighty God. It just won't work at the end of the day. It won't work. Jesus won't go, oh yeah, I didn't see it that way. I didn't see that You know that the, the spiritual climate of the West is just really tough. Like, oh, man, you're right. I should have been nicer on you. Whatever he says is final. He is the amen. You and I aren't. Whatever he says is final. He has the last word. So Jesus gives a pretty dim um, appraisal of where the church is at. There's, there's not much good. There's not much to hang on to. There's nothing good to hang on to for the lay in church. And then he says this, he says, you say that you're all this stuff, and then in verse 18, I counsel you, or he says, I say to you, you say this, but I say, buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. The irony of what Jesus tells them to do. All the things they thought they were great at, generating wealth, clothing, and eyesight, Jesus says, you need to come and get that from me. In your town, in your city, in your culture, you might think that you're good at making money, making clothing, and fixing eyesight, but you can't do it. You can't do it. Only I can. You need to come and get it from me. We don't get to decide what righteous looks like. But Jesus does. You say this, but Jesus says something different. Don't listen to your own voice. Don't listen to the voice of justification in your own mind of why things are the way they are. But listen to the voice of Jesus. He knows you. He sees you. He sees us. And he knows what we need. And this is an invitation that Jesus gives to those who have nothing, those who are lukewarm, those who are poor, blind, and naked. And he says, come to me. Come and buy from me. Jesus has so much grace. I mean, if there was ever a person or ever a group of people to not offer grace to, it would be these kind of people. The people that say one thing with their mouth that, I'm following you, Jesus, but then live a completely mediocre lifestyle. I mean, that, if anything, is the sort of lifestyle that puts people off faith in Jesus. That's the sort of lifestyle that people look at, oh, that's what it is to be a Christian? It's like, it seems like pretty boring. It seems pretty lifeless. There doesn't seem to be much joy there. It doesn't seem to do much. There's not much point to it. I mean, that's the sort of culture in Christianity which turns people away. And if there was anyone that Jesus was going to completely rebuke and say, There's, I'm not even giving you any grace, it would be these people. But Jesus always offers grace. Jesus always offers grace, even when he is disgusted by the people that are calling themselves Christians. It's an invitation Jesus has so much grace. And so he says, buy from me gold, buy from me clothes to wear, and buy from me salve to put on your eyes. So here he says to the the church, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. You don't have anything. But come and buy something from me. I mean, when I first read this, I just had that song... um, I don't know why, but this song came to my head, nursery rhyme, like There's a hole in my bucket. You know that song? There's a hole in my bucket, dear liza, dear liza. And then I looked up all the lyrics and like I always just got stuck on the after the first line, like, there's a hole in my bucket and then with what shall we fix it? Do you know what they try to fix it with? A straw. A straw. And then and then a stone. Yeah and the stone's um, too dry or something, and so it's like, well, you need to get some water for your stone to wet it. And it's like, well, what should I get the water with? A bucket. Well, there's a hole in my bucket. It's like, I just didn't, I just never got to the end of the song, I don't think. I just... But it's just like, that is the exact thing that I think the, the church in Laodicea must have heard when Jesus said, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked, so come and buy some gold from me. It's like, with what? With what shall I buy? My, my bucket's got a hole. Like, i You just told me I don't have anything. And now you're saying, I've got to come buy something. Like, with what? With what? With what are they going to buy anything? They don't have anything to offer Jesus. They don't have anything to offer. Why does Jesus say, come buy gold? Come buy clothes. Come buy this I-self. The church didn't have what they needed, but Jesus did. And Jesus was offering what they needed, but it was in exchange for something. And I really believe it was in exchange for this humility, this brokenness. It's like, I don't have anything. All I've got is a poor, blind, naked body. That's all I have. I don't have anything else. I really believe that Jesus was hoping and and praying and encouraging the church to come to him as they were, to not rely on religious activity, to not rely on their own mediocre attempts at faith, but to come in their brokenness and say, I don't have anything, but whatever I have, I'll give to you. Every part of me, I'll give to you. In my brokenness, in my poverty, in my nakedness, in my shame, in my blindness, I will come to you. You can have it all. You can have every part of me. I really believe that that's what Jesus is asking of us, is that we would just come to him and say, we don't have what it takes. We can't turn the tide of where the church is currently going. We can't change it. Even though in our Aussie culture, we might think that we can fix this. We can get it happening. We can turn it around. We can't. We don't have what it takes, but he does. He has what we need. And so we need to come to him. But it's going to cost us everything. It's going to cost us everything. It's going to cost us all we have. We can't hang on to a mediocre faith and give him everything at the same time. We've got to give him all that we have. And so Jesus says, come and buy from me gold, white clothes and salve. And so those are just representations of different things. Like the gold represents pure faith. Or this, you know, real faith, you might say. The white clothes represent righteousness and the self represents understanding or or sight, you know, to see who Jesus really is. Awareness of who Jesus is. So what we need, we can't get. And what we need, Jesus provides. Jesus gives to us. And he also gives us the clue, which, sorry, I didn't, um, I should have said in all that, is those who are earnest and repent. Those who are earnest and repent. Those who come to him as they are, repent in their brokenness, and say, I can't do it, but you can. What I'm doing is not working. I need you. Jesus goes on in verse 20 and says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Again, the grace that Jesus gives to this church is unbelievable. The grace and the opportunity he provides for relationship, for intimacy. It's like... You've shut me out with your, with your weak or your lukewarm faith. But I'm standing at the door, I'm knocking, I'm saying, here I am, I'm ready. I'm ready to come in, I'm ready to change things, I'm ready to shake things up, I'm ready to stir the pot. But you have to invite me in. You have to let me come in and change things. I'm not going to force my way in, you have to let me in. Here I stand at the door and knock. This is the amazing Jesus we serve, that he sees us He's disgusted with us, with our lukewarm faith. But in his disgust, he doesn't turn away. He actually comes towards and he knocks and he waits. He calls out. The mediocre version of Christianity is is not pleasant. It's not good. But Jesus says, I have a better way. I am a better way. Don't settle for what we'll do or that'll be okay or she'll be right or whatever we can get away with what's the bare minimum that'll do as long as we get into heaven don't settle for that settle for what Jesus desires i really believe that our church is going to be a church and is a church where mediocrity is going to die where this sense of lukewarmness is is not is not okay we don't we don't live with it we call it out and we say that's not how we do things around here. We don't th- do things with a mediocre faith, with a shall be right attitude, with a sense of whatever, we'll, whatever we can get away with, that's what we'll do. But we want to see people come into the kingdom, and we'll do whatever it takes to be a church that is after Jesus' heart. So let's spit out anything that's lukewarm about our faith, because we want this living water, we want this refreshing water, this healing water. We want to live with conviction not with compromise. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your grace. And God, we thank you that, God, even when we disgust you with our lukewarm faith, with our half-hearted efforts, God, you stand at the door and knock. You give us opportunity to turn around and, and meet with you and be changed by you. God, we thank you for the faith, the righteousness and the eyesight that you offer us to see you and to experience you the way you intended us to. And God, I pray this morning that we might feel this conviction in our own hearts to not settle for anything but what you have in store for us. To live with conviction and not with compromise in every aspect of our walk with you. So God, we thank you for, for all that you're doing and we thank you for stirring us up for calling us to something greater. And God, we pray that we would hear what the Spirit is saying. And God, that we would respond with faith and obedience. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.